Welcome to the Made for Mondays podcast, where each week we dig a little deeper into Sunday messages from Believer's Church and learn how to apply them to our day-to-day lives. Now, here are your hosts, Executive Director Heather Carl, Creative Pastor Sam Hager, and Senior Pastor Jamie Stewart. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the pod. My name is Heather. Who are you, fellas? Hey there, Heather. It's me, Jamie. Hello. And it's me, Doug. Douglas. What's up, everybody? (laughs) Dougie Frisch. So glad to see you guys. Again, for our listeners, we are doing another test in our new studio setup. And so if there are some audio foibles or anything like that, we apologize. We're just trying to work out some kinks before we go live with a new pod experience. So Yeah, I love the new studio. It's very comfortable in here. I know. I I think it's going to lead to more conversation. Longer podcast. Mm. Uh, Two hour podcast, maybe? I don't think so. I don't so. think so. Uh-oh. That's not happening here, Doug. Just keep nope. on talking, everybody. Sorry about it. So, you guys. These chairs aren't comfortable enough for uh, that. I'm, I'm loving it. <laughs> <laughs> um, what did you guys do this weekend? I recovered. Oh. So, okay. I, was, I was gone. <laughs> I was gone all last week. So, this weekend, it was just, you know, unpack and mm-hmm. do laundry and. I got home, Bonnie and I got home Saturday. Can you tell us about what you did this week? Yeah. So we had the opportunity to go to a marriage retreat down in Rome, Georgia, which is about an hour and a half north and west of Atlanta. And uh, it's sponsored by the Windshape Foundation, which mm-hmm. was started by Trick Kathy. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. Chick-fil-A guy. Chick-fil-A guy. guy. So, yeah, they their foundation runs this this place. It was amazing. It was a great, great week. It was for um, senior pastor types, but they have retreats and intensives and premarital and uh, almost every stage of marriage. So it's not just for ministry couples. It's, for, it's really for anybody. Um, so they have a pretty robust schedule throughout the year. But we had the opportunity to go, and yeah, it was just an amazing, amazing week. It's a beautiful campus, and uh, yeah, we were there, uh, started Monday, ended Friday, took two days to go down, two days to come back, so yeah, it was just a really, really great week. Do they have like big like group sessions, or are you just kind of doing <clears throat> like your own so stuff? I think they... I think depending on what you're going for, it's probably different. So, like, as we were leaving, a premarital conference was getting ready to start for, like, the weekend. And I think that one more obviously would have, you know, structured sessions. And, you know, I'm sure there's more in-person stuff. The one we were in was very low structure. So, we had a small group experience in the evenings that was actually... Like that would be the thing I'd skip, right? Mm-hmm. It was fantastic. Like naturally, that's just what naturally would I would yeah. avoid doing right. that, you know, because sitting in a room with ten people that I don't know, nothing interesting to me about that at all. Um, but our group leaders were phenomenal, and it was just a really, it was the highlight. Honestly, it was one oh, of the hi- highlights. So it was so good. We had a couple. We had a night of worship. We had um, a session or two, I think, general sessions. Um, so yeah, very low structure, lots of free time, lots of um, shared experience stuff that you could sign up for. So that was kind of cool because Bonnie and I, you know, you get in a rut, you do the same things. So there were things that we could sign up to do that, you know, we hadn't really ever done. So there was like a taste and see where you do a chef experience thing. And mm. there's all these different things that you could do and lots of hikes and whatever. The grounds there were huge so yeah, for us it was pretty low structure, but then they have like they have a marriage intensive for couples who are like up against the ropes. Mm. And that's like limited to I think it's I think it was 10 couples and they have um two psychologists oh, okay. and you know mm-hmm. uh, it it's fairly intense and fairly small. Uh so I think it's different depending on yeah. what you're there for. Um, but yeah, I would highly recommend anyone going to, it's either Windshape, if you just Google Windshape uh, Marriage Retreats, you'll come up with a whole list of, most of them are full for this this calendar year, um, but highly, highly recommend. It was yeah. super good. That's, That's cool. awesome. And the location, like, were you excited? Like, I'm going to Rome? 
Oh, Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I've ridden my motorcycle a lot through that part uh-huh. of Georgia because it's right at the foothills. And uh, so I, I love that part of Georgia. So it was it was a beautiful drive down. That's awesome. Yeah, it was really nice. Very cool. Doug, yeah. what did you do this weekend? Uh, we went to go see the D&D movie. Oh, you did? And? It was amazing. It was so good. (laughs) It was funny, and it was all built within this D&D universe, so there's a lot of good lore and stuff there. Um, And at the end, I cried, because it was actually pretty (laughs) touching. (laughs) It was really good. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay, so did you go with your buds that you do D and D with, or yeah. did you make Rachel go with you? Oh no, Rachel would not. Yeah, I, go <laughs> see this movie. I told her about it. She was like, "I really want to go see Avatar." I was like, "I know, but I want to go see D and D." So, um, yeah, we we went. Brent sent it out to uh, the group yeah. of guys that play, and um, it was fun. Did you did you podcast afterwards about your D and D movie experience we on would, your D and D podcast? We would love to do that eventually. <laughs> um, it was actually kind of funny. So, Colin, Brent's brother went with us too and there was one point in the movie where they do this thing that we actually did in our campaign as well colin had this spell that he did and the same thing happened in the movie so Doug, i look at colin I was like I'm colin just, we did Doug, this listen i'm gonna great. stop you right here no let one knows stop. what you're talking about <laughs> let me stop you right there yeah <laughs> so, we, want, uh, it was, it was we very want people fun. when this is over to still respect you yeah oh man if they don't respect <laughs> me for D, we ain't real friends am i right <laughs> um okay so that sounds like a pretty uh-huh. um, exciting weekend for you, oh, especially on a weekend that you were preaching. Oh, yes. Yeah. This was... Um, kind of surprises me. Uh, you even Friday like, night. Oh, okay. <laughs> so gotcha. all day Saturday, I could, I could prep yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and do all that stuff. So. Recover from the oh, yeah. emotional experience. From the experience. I was also <laughs> recovering this weekend. Yes. Yeah. The, the D&D movie. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Well, we're going to get to your um, message in a little bit. But before we do that, we have a couple of other things to talk about. And the first one is... We had a groovy Easter egg hunt mm-hmm. here yesterday. How do you guys think that event went? We really haven't cool. really debriefed about it as a staff yet. We but. have not. Yeah, it seems like we had a really good turnout. I haven't seen numbers or anything. but Yeah, I haven't seen any numbers yet either. But um, second service, I'm hanging out by the front door. Yeah. And the number of kids rolling oh, in. Oh, I know. I was like... <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh. It was a lot. Yeah. It was a lot. And I, I have heard, um, so for any listeners who had may have had this experience, uh, we did have to turn some families away from BK yesterday because it was just overrun yeah. with the mm-hmm. number of kids that came in. So if that was you, you know, this, this Sunday coming up, we're going to do our very best to be able to welcome absolutely everybody into the environment. Yes. But, it was just, it was tilted in favor of the second service, obviously, yeah. because that's when it happened. And yeah, I could tell watching families come in <laughs> that we were, we were in for it. It was, yeah. but it was great. Like the event itself, from my perspective, I was in the auditorium um, where the egg gathering actually took place. And so we were on the, the greeting team. So saying hello to everyone that was coming in, give them an instruction around the room. And I will say it was very well structured, very well organized. Yeah. Uh, we had more eggs, so everyone got their fair share. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was it was really really well done. Is from from the perspective that I had, which was very limited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I had a good chance to talk with some people out in the field too. I was out there with the inflatables and kites and some of the other stuff we had set up, and uh, some families rolling through were just like very thankful that we yeah. had this. Um, they said they tried to come last year, and they said it was really tough to find a parking spot. Really? So they were really looking forward weird. to this year. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they came out, and they were just like, man, just thank you so much for doing this. My kids love it. Um, and these were people who don't necessarily go to our church. Yeah. yeah. They were just in the community looking for a place to belong. Yeah. Yep. And it was such a good conversation. Yeah, that's so, so good. It was pretty awesome. So yeah, I had some good conversations, too, with people that did come last year, and... Um, they were saying how much better it was mm-hmm. this year. So I was like, oh, yeah, we try. We try to improve each time. So I still say yeah. last year was amazing. It was incredible, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. It, was, so it good. was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a really fun day. And I love that we had um, something for everyone. So all of the age groups um, participated. And we had tons of students show up yeah. for middle school and high school which was great it was so much fun to see them like having a good time and just hanging out with each other and we had uh, we had a bunch of kids going through the inflatables and they were like racing each other trying to get to the yeah. end 
Um, we had some grown-ups try to go through and erase each other. <laughs> I heard. It was really fun. And they were like, hey, are we allowed to do this? I was like, yeah, I think so. And I look at the inflatable. There's no like age limit on it. Right. Uh-huh. Go right ahead. Uh, go for it. Have a great time. Yeah. yeah. I do have to um, talk about my highlight of the day. And that happened when the fourth and fifth grade, fourth and fifth graders were in line to check in. And I was serving at check-in with a couple that's fairly new to believers, and um, their names are Crystal and Danny. And so Danny was talking to this group of boys, and I could kind of hear this conversation happening (laughs) from time to time. I know where this is going. Yeah. And um, so I was like, I was kind of like listening in and thinking parts of this conversation seemed funny. And then I would like get busy doing some other stuff. So after Danny's done talking to these boys, um, he says to me, he was like, Heather, do you know um, these boys over here? And I said, yeah, I know those boys. He was like, do you know that one? I said, (laughs) yeah, I know that one. That one um, is ransom. And Mm. he was like, okay. And I said, why did something happen? And he was like, well, um, and he, Danny's kind of like chuckling a little bit. And he was like, well, um, he w- he's been asking me, trying to get me to give him three bags to go in. And we were giving each kid a bag. Yeah, to and go this into is to collect all the candy. Yeah, yeah, to collect the eggs. The more bags you have. Right, yeah, the more, the more, more eggs you can get. Yeah. So um, I was like, oh, he was. And he said, yeah. I told him like, oh, we're just giving one per kid right now. And so he said, um, well, you might want to rethink <laughs> that because my dad is a really big deal around oh, here. Yeah. And it, Danny was like, okay, um, I'm real sorry. I don't know who your dad is. I'm new around here. I don't know who that is. So Danny asked me, Heather, do you know who his dad is? And I was like, yeah, his dad was the guy that was preaching Uh this morning. And Danny loses it, starts (laughs) laughing so much. And I said, um, he said, so then... He was like, well, even, and even if your dad is a big deal, I don't know if that's something that I can do. And, he, and <laughs> yeah, Ransom was like, dad. well, he's like, I mean, yeah. like way up here. And yeah, he like gosh. puts his hand like way above his head. Yeah. And so Danny just thought this was hilarious. And I told Danny, I was like, if you knew Doug. The best part of even the story. a little <laughs> tiny bit. You would know that when I tell Doug this story, he will be mortified to know that his son was like, my dad is like a super big deal. Yeah. It's so funny because like when I was walking into the auditorium to help out the last Easter egg hunt, yeah. I saw my son Ransom. He's running around with a bag full of eggs. And in passing, because I was like, I got to get in there, buddy. So I'll, I'll talk with you after. He said, hey, I persuaded some volunteer to give me a bunch of bags. And I was like, <laughs> all right. And I, I had no idea the context of what was going right. on until you shared the story. Yeah. Well, I mean, how awesome. would you know? You're such a big deal. You don't really uh, get yeah. way down into the details. For, yeah. for my own son. Get out of here. And they're just like roaming around the place. I'm like, where's your mother? Like, what is going on right now? These free range kids is doing whatever they want. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, it was so great. That is I incredible. Just love that story. He has so a good much. friend, Trey, and them together, it's trouble. And yeah. I talked to him last night. He was like, yeah, yeah, I was going to see how much I could get away with. And I was like, it's because Trey was right next to you, right? He was like, no. I was like, yeah, that's. Yeah, that's what it they're was. trying to, you know, he was trying to impress his friends. Like yeah. his dad works here. <laughs> oh my gosh! And then one Kid, of kids named Trey. Yeah, I mean they are trouble. They are trouble. <laughs> one of the other boys when Ransom was, because I was kind of like get, picking on Ransom after that, and I was like, Ransom, I can't believe you said that about your dad. And he was giggling, and then his other friend was like, Well, my dad owns believers. <laughs> so Oh, wow. Gosh. I was like, oh, wow. I didn't, okay, I didn't know that there was a guy who owns players. I didn't either. <laughs> yeah, that's a, like a my dad can beat up your dad uh-huh, scenario. Right, yeah. that's for sure. I need to get happening. to know that kid so I can <laughs> no. kind of figure out what's right, going on. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, you have someone you need to report to. I, I do, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys, I'm really excited today because we have a what the what? It gets better every time we do this. Question. Sam is in the studio and he just took his headphones off. <laughs> but he can still hear you. He can still hear me. La, he has la, la. superhuman hearing. That's right. 
Okay, so here we go. Here's the question from our friend. Howdy, friends. At Bible study this morning, we talked about how Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. It made me think of when God flooded the earth and it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And then my friend brought up how the Israelites wandered for 40 years. What is the significance of the number 40 in the Bible? By the way, my friend's husband is texting Doug for an answer. <laughs> and he, he did. But it was funny. I told um, her not to share the answer with me because I wanted to ask the pod. LOL. Yeah. I normally ask Derek most of my questions I f- um, because I fear sounding uneducated. But I'm actually really excited about this one. Looking forward to hearing from y'all, Sarah Beth Stewart. So first of all, Sarah, please do not not ask a question for yeah. fear of sounding uneducated. Questions help everybody. Like we all I love the questions because I always learn yeah. something mm-hmm. from them. Um yeah, so and don't secondly, ever let that hold you back. Being married to Derek gives you the fast track to every answer. <laughs> So there's that. Yeah, <laughs> questions are amazing. Uh, yeah. When um when this person texted me, I was like, oh, that's such a good question. Let me go do some research. Yeah, and it, it allows us to yeah. you know yeah. venture into areas that maybe we haven't ever thought of ourselves. Right. So what what answer did you get? Oh, it's a bunch of a bunch of different opinions on it. There are. Yeah, yeah. Um, the things that I I saw that stood out to me were usually the number forty is used in times of testing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um you know the the forty days of fasting or mm-hmm. the forty days on the ark. Or, um, you know, wandering for 40 years. Um, yep. 40 shows up all over the place. And it's usually connected to God, um, you know, putting somebody through a test or really testing their faith. Um, but the significance of the number 40 itself, um, there are a lot of just opinions on it. Yeah. But I really couldn't find anything outside yeah. of just the the consistency of 40 being used as a time of yeah. testing. It was their way of saying, this is a very long time. Um, yeah. 40 days, 40 years. It's a long period of time. It would have been really difficult to endure through this. So 40 is a way of saying, you know, their faith uh, was pretty sound or they, they failed the test or whatever the context was. Yeah, it could also literally be 40 years yeah. or days or mm-hmm. whatever. So um, interesting, the first three kings of Israel each reigned for 40 years. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. I didn't know, I didn't think about that. Um, Jonah warned Nineveh for 40 days. Mm-hmm. Ezekiel lay down his side. For 40 days to symbolize Judah's sins. Those poor Old Testament uh, prophets. I mean, those prophets. Because Ezekiel also had to lay on his left side for like hundreds of years, hundreds of days. Yeah, those poor guys. Yeah. They, they just really went <laughs> through it. Yeah, yeah, they really did. Jesus appeared to the disciples for 40 days before mm-hmm. the ascension. And the season of Lent is 40 days minus Sundays. It's weird. I think it's because the Catholic Church came up with the calendar calculations for that. There's there's some weirdness <laughs> there. But it is 40 days if you take out Sundays. Yeah. So, yeah, 40 is kind of all over the place. Um, so, yeah, it's significant, but why is it significant? Um, no one really knows. And I think that's the, the part. Like the Bible Project guys, they said 40, like you said, Doug, is uh, associated with a period of waiting and then goes on to say that we shouldn't speculate too much about the meaning yeah. in the Bible because the authors – so if you're speculating about the meaning, what the Bible Project guys say is you're trying to decipher a hidden meaning or, or message within the Bible, and that's a wrong approach. And there's a there's an episode – I can't remember what it is. It might be episode 40. <laughs> no, I think it's episode 12 of the Bible Project guys um, – on their podcast, but they said if you're trying to read too much into it, um, then you're kind of approaching the Bible incorrectly mm-hmm. because you're trying mm-hmm. to find hidden meaning in the Bible, and the authors of the Bible are not trying to hide anything; they're trying to reveal. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was a insightful comment. So yeah, it's a, a very consistent theme, but there's no universal agreement on what it means, other than yeah, it's a it's a consistent. Uh, Time of testing, waiting, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. our the um, Got Questions team kind of echoes what the Bible Project guys say too. And just talking about that, like some people place, they say too much significance in numerology, Yeah, trying to find a special meaning behind every number in the Bible. And right. often a number in the Bible is simply a number, including the number 40. God does not call us 
To search for secret meetings, hidden messages, or codes in the Bible, there is more than enough truth in the plain words of Scripture to meet all our needs and make us complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. And they reference 2 Timothy 3.17 there. Yeah, and I think that's true. And I think it's also true that 40 clearly is significant, just mm-hmm. like 7 is significant right. and 6 is significant. I mean, there's there, there are lots of numbers that do carry significance. But yeah, trying to discern a secret behind those things yeah. is yeah. where it gets a little, it can trip you up. I think the cool thing about the numbers are they do build in like a, like rhythms. Yeah. Um, and like the importance of like, like the daily time with God and then your weekly time with a Sabbath and then the, the repetition of seven, even yeah. within that it, it's not numerology, but more so just trying to build in healthy rhythms. In yeah, life. for sure. And I think 40 could be a, a level mm-hmm. of that too. So yeah. like there's this continual thing, um, that we see happening through scripture yep. just to yeah. remind us of the importance of relying on God and, and trusting in him. Well, yeah. And you know, we're, we're nearing the end of the season of Lent, but you know, that's a good example of, you know, Jesus was tested for 40 days and to, for the follower of Jesus to, you know, voluntarily submit themselves to a test of sorts mm-hmm. is a, is a good pattern. It's a good rhythm to do that on a on a annual at least an annual basis, you know, yeah. I'm going to try to follow this pattern that this rhythm that Jesus established for us. I think that's good. One thing that I read that I had never thought of before, this one guy said, when you look at 40 years, it almost has a sense of like a generational yeah kind of thing. I saw that and too. And they said in those days, life expectancy was like 35 to 40 years. Yeah. So yeah. If you're 40 years old, you would have been an elder in your community. Yeah. And I turned 40 in October and that humbled me. I was like, I don't <laughs> I don't feel like I have enough wisdom to be the elder. Um, but in their culture, 40 would have been like yeah. that would have been a whole generation. Yep. For so sure. as Israel's is wandering through the wilderness, they had to wait mm-hmm. for all of them to die away before they could be led into the promised land. Yeah. 40 years would have been a sufficient amount of time to see that happen. So there's a sense there like 40 years for us might not seem all that much, but for them, it was a lifetime. Right. And that's, even that's so, huge. so even so, you think 40 years, like by the time you hit 40, you know, you're you're at that stage of life where your parents are now on the other side of retirement. So yeah. it's not like biblical times where people are passing at 40. Mm-hmm. Um but there is a there is a rhythm generationally speaking. You know, the, a new generation has risen up in 40 years. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they are now taking, you know, taking hold yeah. of the the systems For of sure. society, and they're yep. the ones who are now leading in that sense. That's all right. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, we also get to talk about your message today, Doug, and this was our wrap up to our outrage series, and you kind of opened up the uh, message with a quote that says, "Your assumptions." Are your windows on the world? Scrub them off every once in a while, or the light won't come in. Yeah. Um, so I'm just wondering, as we kick off this conversation, how have you guys seen negative assumptions fuel our outrage? Yeah. So for me personally, it's easy for me to assume somebody has said something, or they did something, or they believe something, and I kind of take it really personally. So I'm yeah. assuming, oh, this is an attack against me or attack against Christianity or attack against something that I care about. And when I assume that it's simply an attack, like it uh, it forces me to kind of to almost um distance myself from the person or um try to just stop listening to even their argument in the first place. So if I see everything as an attack, um this affront against me, then yeah, I'm not going to have a dialogue with them because I'm going to try to distance myself from them. So mm-hmm. it's just changing that assumption. Not everybody is trying to attack me. Not everybody is yeah. trying to cancel me. Not everybody is trying to um, interfere with my life. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is something that's going on that they're dealing with. And that dialogue is so important. That conversation has to happen because if the conversation doesn't happen, then I could never really empathize with them. Yeah. Jamie, did you have anything that came to mind? Yeah, I'm. it's just such a... It's a great quote and a great observation, and I think for for me, oftentimes the the read in is around people's intent, you know, mm-hmm. their motivations, what's what's driving someone, and it's it's kind of funny because, you know, oftentimes when I reflect on my own motives, I'm unclear, yeah, and mm-hmm. yet I have absolute clarity on everyone else's, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. So yeah, just just that, I think. I think that's the part that I read into people's motives very, very frequently. I have to, I have to 
consciously choose to not do that, to push back against that. Because mm-hmm. it does lead you into, almost always it leads you to a dark place, not a good place. And that's the other thing. Like, <laughs> you know, you never you never read someone's motives in a positive. It's, oh, a, yeah. it's always in the negative. Yeah, I, I have a good example of this. And it's kind of like, like pretty insignificant if you think about it. So uh, months and months ago, I was kind of greeting at the front door and somebody walked in and they walked in a little bit late I said, hey, what's up? How's it going? And they kind of walked right past me. And my first thought was like, oh, man, they must be mad at me. What did I do to upset them? And I started like racking my brain. Is it something I said in the past? Is it something I did? Maybe it's something that I taught from the stage and they just disagreed with me. And I started assuming that this whole world revolved around me. Mm. They walked past me because they're upset at me. And it's pretty selfish to think that, right? Um, I talked with them like the next week and I just said, hey, what's up? I, I noticed last week you came in and just kind of walked past me like, oh, yeah, I came in late. I was trying to get into the service. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I was like, not trying to oh. have a conversation, Doug. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, could it be that there are things happening that do not involve me yeah. at all? <laughs> and right. it was such a good reminder yeah, that, that the good. world doesn't revolve around me. Somebody yeah. could just be having a bad day and I don't have to be a part of that. They just wanted to get into service and not mm-hmm. misworship. Yeah. yeah. So, man, it's such a good reminder. I, I can't assume motives. I can't assume that. You know, somebody's upset, and yeah. then I'm That's a part really of good. it. You shared a great story as an illustration of your wife, Rachel, mm-hmm. and one of her besties, Natalie. Um, can you kind of summarize that story for us again for our listeners? And then I'm just curious if you guys have had similar experiences in your own life and what you've learned from that. Yeah, so Rachel, Rachel finds it really difficult to meet new people because I'm— um, She's a little shy, and she's always kind of self-conscious about what people think about her. So um, she walked up to a circle, a group of people, and Natalie was standing there, and she started talking to the person right next to Natalie um, and didn't acknowledge Natalie at all and kind of walked away from the conversation after she was done with you know talking to her friend. And Natalie was thinking, like, man, what in the world? She didn't even acknowledge me. She doesn't know me. She didn't introduce herself at all. And started assuming all these, like, really, like, negative assumptions about Rachel. Um, and it wasn't until months later they actually had a chance to hang out again. They played a game called Spoons, and they had a chance to actually get to know the other person. And it was there that Natalie Natalie was like, oh, yeah, Rachel's pretty cool. We can actually get along. We could be friends. And now they're, like, really good friends because of that. Um, when I was writing the message, I asked both of them if I could share it. And then I actually I said, is this the way it happened? And Natalie was like, oh, yeah, that's the way it happened. And she was fired <laughs> up. And then Rachel was like, yep, that's the way it happened. And both of them even – like thinking back to that they laugh now but in the moment it was it was difficult yeah so just the importance of um you know thinking the best of the other person and looking back on kind of the false assumptions we've had in the past and Mm -hmm. how we can grow and learn and uh, just get better at that as we um you know reach out and they we build those significant relationships in our lives yeah jamie do you have any experience like that um yeah, I don't know that I have one that I can recall just exactly, but I can see that how that whole thing plays out. And yeah. then if you if you still are friends with someone after spoons, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that friendship's gone a long ways. <laughs> we didn't have a chance <laughs> to talk true. much about this game spoons, uh, yeah. so maybe for the listening audience, the game is very fun. You yeah. start with a deck of cards, and you can play with a bunch of people. Yeah. But I think we usually play with like under ten people. Um, and you pass cards around. If you get four of a kind, you have to grab a spoon in the middle of the table. And it's kind of like a musical chairs. There's yeah. one less spoon than people in the circle. Right. And the last person to grab the spoon yeah. gets and a letter. It's, it's very out. cutthroat. Oh, literally. Yes, yeah. Because you try to do it like on the slide. Mm-hmm. Right. And then once everyone realizes it's like tables have been broken mm-hmm. at my house by people, spouses in this room. Um, wow. <laughs> it's been, Call it out. is, it we, is, um, we, we played, used to play at Nicaragua yes. all the time when we'd go down with teams and people would get injured. Yeah, like there Nate, were injuries. Nate was bleeding yes. because somebody grabbed a spoon and actually grabbed his hand and just like gashed his hand. Yeah. It's, it's a great time. Fun. Super fun game. Yeah. So if your friendship can survive that, yeah. that's, that's really that's saying true. it can survive anything. Yeah, it really can. But yeah, I think, you know, just that. That whole assumption thing mm-hmm. at the beginning of that story is is the part, and we do that. Like I can think of you know people that I've met. I mean, even Bonnie when I first met her, you know, like those first encounters that you have, you you build a whole thing in your own head about who that person is. But in the context of this series where we're talking about being outraged in our in our culture, you think about 
how frequently people are doing that, not just for an individual, but for groups of people. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone who votes this way is this kind of person. You know, everyone who thinks this way about this subject matter, that's who this person is. And and that's where that outrage, like, we're not just making assumptions about someone, we're making assumptions about 20% of the population or, yeah. you know, and so it becomes this great divider when you start doing that. And yeah, the, I think, you know, that's the, that's the tension, that's the... That's the thing that our culture is facing right now, for sure. Mm-hmm. I like that you bring that up, Jamie, because I think the problem in that, too, is that you're assuming that every person in that group is the same person. It, and thinks <laughs> it's 100% like, the same way right, about everything. About all the things. Right, yeah. And it's like, even in a group that yes. agrees about something, they're going to disagree about so many other things in their lives. So, yeah, that's that's a really good point. So I was I had a conversation with a a couple at the at the retreat that was super interesting and and it brought up something that that I think kind of speaks to this a little bit. Um, they're pastoring a church in Nashville. It's primarily immigrants from Central and South America. Okay. Um, she's American. He's Mexican. They met in Mexico. She was a missionary there, and they've planted. I think they're this is their fourth church plant. And uh, in Nashville, the vast majority of the people that are coming into their church right now are Venezuelan. And uh, we were talking to them about how their church plants have been different. And what was super interesting to me is um, she started explaining how depending on where they're coming from in South America completely changes the dynamic of what the church is. Oh, wow. So South Americans, generally speaking, look down upon those from Central America. They're they're a little less than on the scale, the social okay. scale. Venezuelans uh, think of themselves basically as Europeans, oh, not South Americans. And so there's like an eliteness to the uh-huh. folks coming in from Venezuela. Many of them had money. That's why they, they left Venezuela because mm-hmm. of the corruption there and they've lost pretty much everything. Um, and she said in our churches, it's very easy to get those from Central America to volunteer and to participate and to serve. It's very difficult to get those from further south in South America to do the same thing because they feel like it's a little bit beneath them. So just that whole dynamic so of, yeah, even, you know, we we have a tendency to think of, you know, every immigrant coming into the U.S., we paint with a broad brush stroke mm-hmm. and say, like, this is who they are. Uh, and our news, you know, is feeding us this yeah. narrative of who they are. But, you know, here's a church worker dealing with people who are coming in, and her experience or their experience is, you know, not only does it depend on their individual story, but then their cultural their cultural background and all of these things right. are different factors that that change the dynamic just pretty considerably. And I just found that to be like that nuance so interesting because yeah. in my mind, it just shattered something in my own mind of yeah. what I had been thinking about, you know, the mass of immigrants coming across the Southern border and to hear her talk about it. I was like, man, that's way different and way more complex than anything yeah. I ever yeah. would have thought of, you know? And it's cool to learn like a different perspective. Like yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, it was fantastic. Well, that kind of leads right into the next part of our conversation today. And Doug, you illustrated the big idea for the day yesterday by bringing us to a passage that many of us grew up who grew up going to Sunday school were familiar with. It's the story of Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man. Yeah. He is a wee little man. Um, and you, you want to point- sing the song real quick? I feel like we have to now, right? Yeah. Um, you pointed out that Zacchaeus's story is likely not what we learned as kids. Um, and can you tell us just a little bit again about his name, his profession, his class, uh, the things that were not included in our song that we sang in Sunday school? Yeah, yeah. So when I was like trying to study the passage and really like, you know, go deep into it to find out like what what's happening here and maybe that I don't even see. Right. Um, I learned that his name is from a Hebrew word that means pure or innocent. Super interesting. So, yeah, I was like, oh, my gosh, yeah. man. He, his very name is something that the original readers would have thought to themselves, oh, 
Like Luke is setting up this really compelling yeah. story. Yeah. And they're like eye rolling. Yeah, pure and innocent. He's a tax collector. How does that work out? So it's almost like Luke is setting the stage knowing that we are going to assume mm-hmm. about this man. Yeah. And then he he reminds us, but no, Zacchaeus, he's the one that Jesus is trying to reach. He's not the bad guy. He's the one who Jesus loves, who is is here to seek and to save. And I love that dynamic. And man, when you read when you read stories in the Bible, it's like they're purposefully doing that. And you oh, see it happening sure. all the time, like the yeah. prodigal son, yeah. um, most of Jesus' parables, the rich man and Lazarus. Yep. It's this complete reversal of the way that we would assume things would play out. And, he's and like, that his no. audience would have assumed oh, yeah. for sure, right? So, I mean, I, w- I would have loved to have been an audience member right? when he mm-hmm. when this happened, right? And when they're reading this for the first time. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay, Zacchaeus, the bad guy. And then you hit that moment where Jesus is like, I'm going to your house today. The crowd would have been like, wait a second, what? What did he just say? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, to hear it for the first time would have been amazing. So it is. It's that kind of story that kind of um, hits you with that twist, like the M. Night Shyamalan twist at the end. You're like, oh, no, he's going to Zacchaeus' house. This is going to get wild. Yeah. So you told us like that about his name, his profession, Mm -hmm. he's this tax collector and his class. He was like... A rich guy. So he wasn't like with the crowd. You know, he Mm -hmm. wasn't with them that were following Jesus really. So um, I know you've told us not to make assumptions about people in this message, but what we can assume about Zacchaeus, what can we assume about Zacchaeus knowing that he was willing to humiliate himself just to see Jesus? Oh, yeah. So it seems like he was really, he really wanted to know God, right? So for whatever reason, he's seen as a thief. From the other religious leaders, they consider him a notorious sinner, and there's a lot of division there. Um, and could it be that he's a guy that just wanted to know that he could belong somewhere? Like, he seems like he wants to know about God, and here's his teacher coming up, Jesus. Could he be the one that's going to show mm. him love yeah. and forgiveness and grace when he so desperately needs it? And, and right. that's such a good narrative that Jesus hits all the time. Um, like, like the other parable where he's talking about the the rich man or um the the Pharisee and the tax collector. He's like, yeah, the Pharisee standing or the tax collector puts himself on the ground. He's laying down. He says, God, forgive this sinner. And the Pharisee is like, well, thank you, God, for not making me like this guy. Right. <laughs> right. And Jesus is like, yo, the tax collector is the one who went home and found salvation because yeah. He, yeah. he understood how desperately he needed God. Yeah. And I think that's what's happening here. Zacchaeus knows how desperately he needs God. So he's willing to humiliate himself to yeah. at least see Jesus. Right. Like notice me, acknowledge me. No one else in this town is. Right. I, I need I need some answers in life. And maybe yeah. Jesus could bring those answers. So how can we we relate um Zacchaeus's desire, his longing to that of the people in our culture? Because there's gotta be some parallels mm-hmm. happening there, right? Yeah. yeah. I, to me, it's just a reminder that everybody, everybody's human, right? We all have needs. We all have desires. We all have things that we're struggling through in life. And could it be that everybody's looking for the same hope, yeah. the same purpose, and we all desire the same thing? We're just looking for it in different avenues. Yeah, you have somebody over here who's looking for it through possessions, and somebody over here who's looking through it, looking for it through fighting for justice and social issues, and this other guy who found it in knowing Jesus. And we're all looking for the same thing. And it's amazing that. Those of us who who have the answer of true hope and true purpose and true love, and sometimes we get so sidetracked yeah. in judging others and finding ourselves distant from them when we should be up close so we can show them like, man, this this is what it's all about. This yeah. is the true meaning in life. Let me let me show you. Let me not just tell you about it, but let me show you through my actions and through how yeah. I love you as well. Yeah. So good. Um, this Sunday being Easter, mm-hmm. um, I spend a little bit of time talking about that very thing of how, you know, with all the culture shifts that are happening right now and the the change, what seems to be like a change of values um, and social norms, um, many people my age, older, have kind of written off the younger generations as saying, uh, you know, well, the rise of the nuns mm-hmm. and people are distancing themselves from church. Uh, for the first time ever, less than 50% of people are connected to church in any significant kind of way. And the assumption that we make is everyone has given up on God. Yeah. Everyone is, has tried him and found him wanting, and they really just want to get on with their sinning. So they, you know, they don't <laughs> yeah. want us to stand in their yeah. way. 
Um, but what research is telling us is that there's actually an uptick in openness to spirituality, and I think it's exactly that. People are looking, and the church, by and large, has not been willing to get close yeah. to those who are searching. Mm-hmm. And so we're not bringing a piece that they're actually looking for, and we've written off generations now, two of them, to say, yeah, they're almost unreachable, when in reality, they're searching for the very thing that we have. Yeah. They could be the most reachable. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. How cool is yeah. that? It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, not cool, you know, but the opportunity. But so the opportunity is so, so great. much yes. potential. Yes. Yeah. Well, Luke 19.5 is really the game-changing verse in this story because it's where we see that Jesus blesses the canceled Zacchaeus. And I think that ties so beautifully into the quote that you shared from your friend, Nate, um, where he just challenged you with the question of how would your interactions and relationships change if you assumed that every person you encounter is doing the best they can? Yeah. And I just love that question. So good. I talked to Nate yesterday (laughs) and I said, how do you feel knowing that any text that you send could become like the big idea in a message? It's funny because he texted me that when I was writing this, and it was such a good such like a good, supplement to yeah. it. I was like, "Hey, man," because I I internally I wrestled with it like for the whole week. Yeah, so, and then I was so like, good. "Hey, w- would you mind if I share this?" And I was like, "I, I want to quote it like the way that you mm-hmm. wrote it." Um, and I think he got it from he was reading something, and I forgot what book it was. I'll have to try to figure it out. But Nate can tell us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was so good though, and convicting in my own life. Um, not even kidding. That day I read it. And I, was, I had the whole internal dialogue, like, yeah, right, whatever. And then, <laughs> no, yeah, I think there's something to this. And then I was like, I'm going to get better at this. And that day I failed at it. Yeah. I'm going to get better at this. <laughs> and then life happens, right? right. Yeah. And had an argument or a disagreement or the kids are crazy or just whatever. I, I read an article online and my brain already starts assuming the worst. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, man, this is really, really tough. But I think it's so important. Yeah, it's reframing the assumption. Mm-hmm. So, like, we started by talking about the assumption, and we said the assumption's always in the negative. But yeah. here we're being challenged to reframe that and have the assumption always fall on the positive side of the ledger. Right. Mm-hmm. Man, that's so good. And I'm I'm an optimistic person. I know you are. And it's still tough for me. Yeah. yeah. So, man, it's just, it is. I think it's something I need to retrain the way that I think. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. to start off with um, just the assumption that God wants to work. Yeah. And that God can work. I, I was going to say, I think, I think, Changing the assumption starts with allowing God to, because you can't just try to do that. Yeah, it's it's an invitation for God to meet with us and, yeah, to start changing who we are. Mm-hmm. And I think, honestly, like I know for me, I struggle with how God even views me. Mm-hmm. So I have to start leaning into how God actually sees me as His child, as His beloved, as His chosen. Um. Because if I can start believing what God believes about me, then I can start transferring that onto other people. Yeah. But until I come to terms with that, it, it's really hard to. If if I believe that God's always perpetually disappointed with me, then I go into every relationship feeling the same way. Yeah. You know? So that that's a good plug for a book that we're reading. Oh, um, nice. Pray Like Monks, Live yeah. Like Fools. It's a great book. I finished it. Oh, did you? I did this last week. I think I'm halfway week. through. There's yeah. a chapter where he talks about that very idea. Yeah. Like, if I don't see myself as the beloved by God, yeah. how could I see somebody else as that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. If I don't see myself as loved and cherished and valued by God, I will not see somebody else in the same light either. Yeah. And could it be that when I judge somebody else, I'm really struggling with my view of self? For sure. Yeah, so it's a great book. I recommend it to everybody. I I do too. We've talked a lot about um, this in previous pod episodes and in other areas, but the Resilient book Mm -hmm. and the Pause app. And some of the things that you were just saying, Jamie, just reminded me of like how important to start your day in that sort of mode. and 100%. Tapping into the pause app because even in there, one of the lines that is so good, that is the great perspective yep. shifter, is I release everyone and everything to yes. you, God. Benevolent yeah. How good is that? Yes. Yeah. And so like just even getting that around our own minds yeah. really does allow us to be able to live in that tension of that question that Nate asked. Yeah, so good. And uh, not to do a, a book recommendation overload. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so many books right now. Because Praying so Like many. Monks, Living Like Fools, 
Excellent, excellent book. Highly recommend. Uh, Heather just mentioned Resilient. Um, Bonnie and I just read Get Your Life Back mm. by John Eldridge, mm-hmm. which was the precursor to Resilient. Yeah. And I will say anyone who's read Resilient needs to, read, to that. read that. It, yeah. it Many of the ideas that come out in Resilient were born mm. in Get Your Life Back. It's a powerful book. Yeah. It was so, so good. I I just loved it so much. Yeah, that's awesome. it was. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe I'm I'm uh, cheering on John Eldridge <laughs> for years. I was so disappointed in that guy, but man, these two books <laughs> have been so incredibly good. Could you say that you change your assumptions about him? I think I have. Yeah, oh, look, yeah. look at that big win. <laughs> Um, so I think one of the things that is especially relevant right now for people is this fear of what will happen if we align ourselves or just try to um, maybe support or we agree with someone who's been canceled for whatever reason. So I'm wondering, how do we overcome the fear of those repercussions for showing love to someone who's been canceled? Because um, it that feels like the tension to oh, yeah. me that that is really present right now in our culture. Yeah. So, I mean, look at what happened to Jesus. So he meets with Zacchaeus and the people in the town, they were grumbling, complaining, and gossiping about him. Like he has gone to the house of a notorious sinner. Um, that's going to happen to us when we love somebody who culture thinks is unlovable mm-hmm. or culture has canceled or culture says no distance from this person. Yeah. When we love even that person, they're going to hate us because of it, which I mean, Jesus warned us, right? The world will hate you because of me. Yeah. And if we're hated because we're jerks, we deserve it. Right. <laughs> I think Jamie, you're talking about yeah. this in two, two weeks, weeks, two yep. weeks. Um, so I won't no, spoil the, the beginning. <laughs> um, yeah. If we're hated because we're jerks, we deserve it. But if we're hated because we love like Jesus loved, that's to be expected. Mm-hmm. Um, I was listening to a podcast one time, and somebody asked the um, the guest. He said, uh, "So why why did they kill Jesus?" Such like an honest, easy, seemingly easy question, right? And he thought about it for a second, and he was like, "Well, they killed him because he was perfect love, and they didn't know what to do with it." Mm-hmm. In in the in confronting perfect love in the face of perfect love, they were so terrified they killed him. Yeah, because it made them deal with themselves with their own brokenness, with their own insecurities, and with their own inability to love. Mm-hmm. And confronted by that, man, it terrifies us. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, of course people are going to hate that love. When you forgive in a way that makes no sense, people are going to hate that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a story not that long ago of a young girl, her father was killed. Um, he was a police officer, and he was killed in the line of duty. And she was up there at the funeral, and she was speaking, and she forgave the man who shot her father, who mm-hmm. killed him. And in tears... She said, because of my faith in Jesus, it allows me to forgive this man like that. And she completely forgave him on the stage. Yeah. And it was a, this incredibly difficult but beautiful moment. But people after that condemned her for it. Right. How could you do such a thing? How could you forgive like that? Yeah. This man is a criminal and he did this horrible thing to you and your family. How could you forgive like that? And she was not, I don't know, hated. I can't read the mm-hmm. motives of the people. But right. it seems like they were treating her like the people in the town we're treating Jesus, yeah. grumbling and complaining, confronting love. Right. And it's really difficult to do, and it doesn't make any sense most of the time for us. But when we look at how Jesus loved us, it's the only thing that we can do. Yeah. It's kind of, um, and it often happens from the Christians in the room. Mm-hmm. It's You're not going to get hated from someone in culture for loving someone involved in culture. Yeah. But it's from the Christians the supposed Christians, you know, that are being ugly to other Christ followers because they're responding in love in a way that they don't think is dealing with like, well, what that person is sinful or they're making these choices and we have to, we got to stand against that. There, there may be truth in that, that those choices are not good choices and that sort of thing, but to not love them is not going to get them to have a transformational moment with Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. What a challenge we have before us. So, what are some practical actions we can take to be on the Jesus side of the meanwhile? Yeah. So, Jamie, what you just shared, 
the the internal self-reflection, the better I understand how much God loves me and how much I am loved by him um, will help me to understand how to love others. Like if I'm not doing that daily, I become very selfish. Right. Mm-hmm. Because like, man, when I remember how much Jesus loves me, it humbles me to my core. And my only response in that is to worship and to love others in the same way. Yeah. When I forget that, and again, it's that daily reminder, it's that daily, today I'm a living sacrifice. I die to self. I die to my selfishness. I embrace God's love. I have to love others in that way too. And I think that's just such a good prayerful daily interaction with God mm-hmm. um, that'll at least start that process and then pray for opportunities. Like you will find opportunities in your life to love others well. Yeah. If you pray for it, it'll show up. It's amazing, right? Because it's already there. Yeah. I think what we're praying is just make myself aware to it. God, show me the people that I'm already interacting with mm-hmm. that maybe are distant from me. And man, it's so sad. They're already happening. I think in my selfishness, I just don't realize it. Yeah. So when I died in my selfishness, those opportunities become so much more evident. Right. And hopefully I have the boldness to step into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jamie, did you have anything more on no, that, that was, one? No, that was solid. Yeah, that was <laughs> <Thank> solid. <laughs> good work. Well, good, because that's all we've got time for today. So, guys, we want you to share this on your socials, and we are continuing to grow this podcast. It's been so fun. We're glad you guys are along for the ride, and we'd love to have some more people join us. Um, And we are really, really excited for this weekend at Believers because we are going to be celebrating both Good Friday and Easter. Jamie, do you want to tell us a little bit about what's happening on Good Friday? Yeah, so Good Friday, it's the first time we've had this in a little while, but we're going to have an extended night of worship, and we will also have the opportunity to celebrate communion together. Uh, So for those who are... Uh, wondering how and how frequently and when we're doing communion. We're doing it this week. All right. And um, yeah, I love communion services. So there'll be a, a short reflection as we go to the table. And then, uh, yeah, this time of worship, preparing ourselves for uh, Easter Sunday. And yeah, I'm super excited for this whole weekend. Yep. So that service starts at 7 o'clock on Friday evening, and then we have our regular service times on Sunday for yeah. Easter Yeah, and it at goes, 9 and 1045. And I guess it goes without saying, but uh, you know, outside of, outside of Christmas, it's one of the easiest times to invite. Mm-hmm. So you know, invite someone to come and sit with you. Yep. It's going to be um, you know, to either of those, to Friday night or to Sunday. And uh, you just don't know what God might do and how he might show up in someone's life. And you could be a part of that. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's very exciting. All right. Well, thanks for being here, friends. Have a great week. Go and be loved.